Hey guys, and welcome back to Mind the Green Space, the podcast where we talk about all things adventure, sustainability, and mental health, and how they all somehow interconnect. This podcast is in collaboration with Powerful Parks. To find out more about them, check out the description below. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mind the Green Space. This week I'm joined with Pamela Barkley, who is the director of Endura, who thankfully provided us with some awesome kits on our trip. So if you want to say hi. Hello. Nice to have you on. And as always, uh, co-host Isaac Kenyon, if you want to say hi. Hey everyone. Awesome, that's our guest for today. Uh, so to start then, if you can just tell our listeners what Endura is. Okay, so um, Endura produces cycling clothing and hardware. So um, that's apparel, helmets and protection for all tribes of rider. Um, so from aggressive downhill riders uh, to sort of on and off road uh, gravel riders, track roadies, um, to your sort of day-to-day commuters uh, traveling around metropolises all around the world. Um, and I suppose we're renowned for um, sort of a directional bulletproof kit that's sort of disruptive engineering. And we're very much all around the sort of substance of advantage as opposed to simply the whim of style. So we're, we're kind of known for being making trusted, no-nonsense kit that's going to do the job. Awesome. I'm sure all the cyclist assistants definitely know what Endura are. But if you don't, there we go. <laughs> I can tell you they did do the job. We we cycled 14 days through different environments and uh, they, they, they pulled us through. Um, I'm still wearing it now and uh, it looks brand new. Yeah. I'm wearing it now as well, actually. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully Isaac has washed his since the last time we wore it. <laughs> yeah, I have washed it. Yeah, <laughs> Three weeks of cycling in that. <laughs> yeah, a bit smelly. <laughs> Um, being part of the fashion industry then, how have you made sure that Endura isn't um, having a negative impact that the fast fashion industry has on the planet, such as like reducing plastic packaging and all that? So I suppose the way that we look at it, there are there are really two different elements on impact on the planet. Um, one is about uh, climate emergency and the other one is around pollutants. Um, so the, the, the taking the pollutants. So pollutants is around um, uh, effluents coming uh, going into the water system. It's about um, you know microfibers going into washing systems. It's about uh, products ending up in landfill. It's basically pollutants that end up damaging toxins that damage the planet. Um, the climate emergency is all around uh, keeping the global temperature increase within that 1.5 degrees Celsius um, of pre-industrial levels that's part of the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, and I, I remember hearing a, a really eminent professor in this area once saying that, you know, if we, if we don't address the climate emergency now, then there will not be a planet to clean up. So that really struck a chord with us about four or five years ago. And I suppose, you know, we just really, really wanted to focus initially really hard on addressing our carbon footprint to address climate change. Um, So I suppose that was really, um, around about that time, there was news articles popping up around, you know, this sort of wonder device that was um, sequestrated carbon from the atmosphere. It was cheap, it was easy to install, readily available, and it was, of course, trees. 
Um, and so I suppose we set, uh, you know, earnestly to research tree planting, um, where we could, where, where was best to do it, where you could get the best bang for buck, because, you know, funds are obviously not um, limitless. Um, and it really was our mission to sort of really make a tangible difference. Um, and so to date, we've pl we've uh, planted uh, 1.8 million trees, both in Mozambique and in Scotland, and we're committed to planting a million trees every year. Um, and we're on schedule to be carbon negative by 2024, and then to have erased all of our historic carbon footprint um, of Endura by 2027. So that will be us. Uh, you know, really having dealt with that climate emergency side of it. Um, when I say dealt with it, dealt with Endura's, you know, element of that in the small way that we can. Um, and and then uh, parallel to that, um, you know, working on the, the pollutants elements, making sure that as many of our products are um, made in uh, environmentally friendly ways that don't harm the planet, um, massively, uh, you know, re reducing, uh, ensuring that our products are long lasting. I mean, but our products are renowned for being bulletproof and really you know, indestructible. So that's great. It's a great start over fast fashion. Um, but really, what can we do to extend that further? What can we do to help customers with sort of repair patches? We've had a we've had a repair service for over 15 years. Um, and then things like reproofers and recleansers. So we've got a collection of um, biodegradable reproofers and cleansers. Um, so it's all of that kind of thing, ensuring that we're using as much recycled polyesters as possible instead of always virgin. Um, yeah, so, so they're the main things that we've done to date. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I me, Isaac and all the team, we went up to Endera's Lifecycle Trust area and um, Pam was showing us, I think you've planted like 85,000 trees just on that plot. And it was insane because you would just kind of look out and all you could see were these baby trees kind of starting to grow. And it was just like, wow, it's so nice to see like a brand start to put in like, like actively doing something like that and not just saying they're doing like putting like we're a sustainable brand. And then you don't really see a lot coming from it. Like we, yeah. in, if you're in Scotland, you are seeing the trees that you are planting, which is amazing. Yeah, it, it took, um, I think we'd planted a million trees in Africa by the time we'd got the planning permission for the trees in Scotland. But it's brilliant to be able to be planting in the UK as well. And in fact, I can see them outside my window right now. It's great. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of brands, I mean, there's some brands doing amazing things. Uh, particularly in the outdoor industry, um, but um, a lot of brands are, you know, saying that they, you know, it's central to their mission, and you know, it's all endorsed from the top. They're on a journey. It's really, really important for them. But actually, tangible action is, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult to take. So um, uh, we would be very willing to help anyone, um, any other brands that want to come along that journey with us and help them out on it, because taking those first steps is, is is what you need to do. Yeah. That's awesome. I've got a question. Um, so you know, with uh, these goals and these ambitions that you've set, is there any sort of um, organisation overarching body across clothing industry worldwide? I'm being naive here. I don't really know. Um, that that actually kind of tries to drive some sort of sustainability climate action. Uh, you join a membership group, and there's X Y Z hundred of brands. 
and you're all trying to align on one mission or is everyone just doing their own thing for how they feel they feel this is the right thing to do there's no actual uniform push or drive coming from like an organization like that so there are various organizations. Um, there's organizations like the European Outdoor Group um, who are doing a lot around um, end of life and uh, sort of recycling. So that's great. And we're definitely in conversations with those guys. Um, the fashion industry overall um, is probably so vast um, and uh, so, so, so many players I'm not aware of one overarching organization that is actually making strong progress. And the reality is the cycling industry, you know, Endura is tiny. Um, you know, the, the, the cycling industry is, is still tiny. Um, cy cycling industry within outdoor is still tiny. The fashion industry is the big player. And the big changes are, are really gonna come from, um, you know, on end of life, end of life is going to not be resolved by Endura or cycle industry or even the outdoor industry. It's the whole of fashion that really has to fix this because um, the, the, uh, you know, the infrastructure is just not there. So it is a combination between the waste industry and the fashion industry that needs to come together to say, right, what can we actually do here with clothes? You know, do, do should the consumer be separating their polyesters from their cottons, from their nylons? Should designers be ensuring that they're only making with mono material? So they're only making one garment and it's all polyester or it's all cotton. And we then divide our products at the end of life into those different types of fiber. Um, or are there going to be um, uh, infrastructure? Is there technology? Because it's not, that doesn't exist yet. The technology does not yet exist that can take mixed fibers and convert it easily back into virgin fiber again. It doesn't exist. Now there's lots of interesting things that are just nascent on the, and you're hearing interesting articles around um, enzymes that are naturally, that they've discovered that, that can naturally, um, you know, you know, basically eat uh, plastics. So there's there's really interesting things that just feels like we're on the verge of it. But as a brand and uh, as designers and product developers within the fashion industry, it is impossible to, right now to know what um, the end game is going to be in 20 years and what you should be designing for because the goalposts are kind of shifting. The 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 the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is not clear. Um, so the, the what most people are working towards now is working to single fiber. So at least it's a polyester garment, and we know that with polyester in particular, you can recycle that either mechanically or chemically. Um, mechanically is much more um, accessible, and recycle that at least four or five times, and it still go be you know um, be able to be used in um, recycled polyester yarn to make new garments. That that, that is possible. The infrastructure for collection and sorting is not is not um, is not in place yet, though. That's the big challenge. And then the environmental impact of sending a single item back 
um, to then be reprocessed doesn't make sense environmentally either. So we need to get together quickly to try and get our heads around a fast solution to that end of life piece. On the on the um, on the on the supply chain side, you know, factories. A lot of factories are now moving towards renewable uh, energy, um, and that's really where 70% of the carbon footprint is coming from. It's really up chain in the yarn production, the extrusion, the uh, weaving, uh, knitting, dyeing. That's really where um, most of the carbon footprint is. So really trying to encourage our supply base to, uh, well, incentivizing and and um, financially supporting our supply base to move on to renewable energy is is going to massively impact on that. So does it worry you that we're not already starting those conversations? I'm sure those conversations are started. They're certainly, it worries me enormously. Worries me enormously. I mean, the, the, on the two separate elements, so the, the, one of the biggest pieces of news that was really positive was China saying that they were um, pledging carbon negativity. Now, um, you know, it's all very well UK being sort of carbon neutral, um, but really all of our production has been offloaded to the far, I say all, but virtually all of our production has been offloaded. So it's a total nonsense saying that the UK is carbon uh, carbon neutral or, or getting to that um, when it, when we've just displaced all of the, the the production elsewhere to the stuff that we consume. If the if the environmental cost was actually loaded into the products we buy as consumers, they would be so expensive that yeah, we would have to renew and and uh, you know repair and cherish those products we don't pay anywhere near the true price it's all subsidized by the planet so that's that's the that's the conundrum that we're in um but the biggest piece of news for me was the fact that china has really uh, pledged to be carbon carbon neutral by i think it's 2060 i mean that's massive yeah, because that's, that's where a lot of the, the, the supply chain is. So exactly. that would help clean up our supply chain as well. So it's exactly. A, it's a multi-win. Multi Have yeah. you ever tried to work out how much a typical garment that you, 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 the environmental cost of a garment, but maybe you guys sell if, if you had to take it from China or something like that, how much more, like what percentage costs that environmental? Um, well, we we do know what the carbon footprint of a typical product is. I wouldn't know that off the top of my head, but we have got very clear charts um, that are showing our carbon sequestration and showing our carbon footprint and where the break-even point of that neutralizing is. So it's um there's a very clear formula of the average garment um, that we have loaded into our system from a carbon footprint perspective. So yes, we do have that, but it's it's uh, it's modeled. Um, and the that but that is much better to start modeling with something as an approximation than you know trying to do everything in, in too much detail because you'll end up doing nothing. So working with you know, realistic models um, is what we're working with. What were some of the challenges that you had then, Percy, in like trying to change your supply chain? Because I assume when it comes to garments, like there's already a process that all manufacturers kind of used to, and then you having to go, well, I don't want it like that. I can imagine it's quite tough. 
Oh, I mean, at the moment, we've not changed our supply chain. We're changing products over to recycled fabrics, so losing lots of recycled polyesters. We're avoiding certain fabrics that we know are particularly damaging to the environment. So, um, I mean, we've removed... Um, um, PFCs from all of our dura water repellencies. We don't work with PTFE anymore, which is particularly persistent in the environment. Um, and you know, just getting a really high proportion of recycled yarns into the into our products. And then we're we're obviously now really um, uh, encouraging and supporting our factories to move over to renewables. Now, you know, when you're working in the far uh, in the far east those countries have also got their own local um, uh, environmental standards improving rapidly. So they have pressure from their own governments to be changing over to renewable energy. Um, and, and that pressure is coming from overall global uh, you know, climate treaties. Um, so it's happening within, as opposed to changing our suppliers, it's uh, working with an educate, well, when I say educating, you know, working with to assist and uh, work together, collaborating with our um, uh, with our supply chain, so that we're all improving um, as opposed to switching over. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Have we ever felt kind of stuck then? Because I can imagine there's only so much that you can do as a brand if the rest of the industry hasn't kind of caught up with what you want. Yeah. I mean, I. I, I just uh, you know, lots of people in the industry are doing really imp impressive things. It's just yeah. not not everyone. So yeah, just want to be uh, clear on that. There's lots of great stuff that is happening. I think the thing is, it is so vast that it needs um, the whole industry to come together to find an end of life solution. Yeah. Uh, the big players like the mills and the um, you know the the uh, the yarn producers in the first place. Um, are starting to make strides on stuff in terms of uh, renewable energy, but the end of life thing piece has not been resolved. The, the supply chain side and moving to renewables, that pr good progress is making there. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and certification of, of uh, garments so that they're not polluting the local um, uh, environment. But that end of life piece, I just can't really see how that, you know, at this point, it's not clear what the obvious solution is. Yeah. And when when companies say that they're recycling product, when you actually look into it, a lot of it is just taking the product, picking out the best stuff and selling it on to third world countries. And then the rest of it effectively um, chunks of it being incinerated and the rest of it just going down the chain to to third world countries, which is just displacing a problem as, as opposed to actually it's not true recycling. There's only you know, 10 or 15 percent that's truly recycled into new garments. So you need to be a little bit careful about that. Yeah. Um, in terms of like when you started to set your ambitions, like what, what point were you at in the company where you decided like, okay, real change needs to happen now and we need to set these ambitious targets? Um, I mean, it was probably around six years ago that we, uh, you know, really started getting our heads around it. And um, I suppose... You, can, you do kind of flounder a little bit for a while till it's a vast area um and you know you, lots of people in the industry just are sort of um sort of blindsided by it and it's 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 there's so much 
stuff that you can do of and it's not all of equal weight you know and a lot of it is actually um it appears to be environmentally friendly but actually it's, it's environmentally detrimental so things that we we really drive us nuts are things like oh hey well why don't we make a one fully biodegradable jacket and and we'll showcase it in a gallery or something and it's like well no that that's 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 total nonsense that's a total gimmick you'll sell one of them and um and it's just a pr stint why not get your best selling products that you do in big volume and get them environmentally friendly you know that's really what we want to do so i suppose we decided to focus very much on carbon footprint and it's a simple clear message everyone can understand it's also it's um it's easily measurable and it's authentic um so that that was really what we focused on um so that we can do something that really is tangible in our small way as opposed to doing lots and lots of bitty things that you can't measure you can measure the carbon sequestration of trees yeah what what is your idea then for the future of indira in terms of like your sustainability goals um okay so going forward um Okay, so going forward, beyond eliminating the historic carbon footprint by 2027, I suppose it's accelerating that. So moving our supply chain as fast as possible over to renewable energy. In terms of the pollutants, um, it's really about ending that, you know, end of life and to get to true circularity and being part of the dialogue, you know, making sure that we're part of discussions that are happening in the broader industry, whether it's in within cycle industry or, or outdoor industry or the bigger fashion industry, and really just uh, trying to move that discussion along um, so that we are clear about not what it is in the next four or five years, but what is that circularity going to look like in 15 years? Because it's not going to happen fast. These are big, expensive machinery that uh, on, on technologies that are still very nascent. So being part of that full cycle solution that it just isn't clear at the moment what that is yeah i was very surprised how quickly um your goal to cause carbon negativity is especially 2024 when you, you seem to only have just started like, i was very surprised how quickly that is as a goal uh, well a million trees is quite a lot of trees yeah and those uh trees then grow other trees and you know uh, each year the trees are bigger and they sequester more carbon so um it's uh you know instead of the first year it's a million the second year it's two million the third year it's three million so it's it suddenly ramps up sort of compound interest almost um so yeah i mean it's just very effective and it's mangrove which is uh, predominantly it's mangrove which is very very high sequestration similar to tropical rainforest um and it you know it seems to um uh store the carbon in its, its root ball um so yeah it's fantastic it really makes a difference trees yeah. are wonderful it's awesome what do you think then is stopping other um companies from taking the steps that you guys have um i think just getting right to it and really understanding the bigger picture and you know doing um uh, uh, there's so much i suppose there are so many things that people are talking about and it's very easy to get um sort of uh uh, you know, d diverted into stuff that doesn't really matter, or sorry, not doesn't really matter, but isn't really going to make an impact. So getting your head around the the practicalities and the science takes a long time to to really understand. Yeah. So, am I right in saying that it's not a uh, it's not a financial 
reason like people might not financially have the resources to do it it's, it doesn't cost that much to do what you're doing it's just prioritizing and and you've probably shifted some things that you were doing before and then moving it into this more environmental um, um it does cost a lot of money it, it does, does cost, cost a lot of money so it does cost a lot of money but we've you know we've taken a chunk of money out of world tour sponsorship so we used okay. to sponsor world tour and uh we've stepped out of that and this is where that money's going and uh you know i think um everyone in the company you know disappointed we're not doing world tour sponsorship anymore however and no one's disagreeing with the where we're spending the money so um yes it is it does cost a lot but um i think uh you know for smaller companies then just do it in proportion and it's you know their their, their carbon footprint will be a fraction of ours if it's their a fraction of our turnover or the all will be double ours if it's their double our turnover so you know it's all kind of relative to scale and uh um, you know, a, a, a chunk of money towards this out of your marketing budget is is the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, you you know, we could we could actually make this money up by um, the amount that we are cutting down on air freighting and uh, you know travel and um, I mean you know not doing conferences that are face to face, but we've you know obviously with COVID. Um, it's been a great uh, environmental experiment at just how much more environmentally friendly you can run a business um, without the business travel. So our business travel bill will be massively reduced and the amount that we used to spend on conferences and we now do um, you know, a chunk of those uh, digitally massive savings and a chunk of that will be going well towards paying for those trees each year. Interesting. Uh... Pan pandemic has given a bit more opportunity there. Yeah, it's definitely. There's we've learned a lot uh, in terms of how we can work in a very different way. So at least uh, it's a terrible tragedy, but there's been a silver lining in terms of people's um, behavioural change that I hope will um, make a difference. And also, you know, our staff. Uh, many staff are office-based will not necessarily be coming into work every day going forward. So cutting down on their commute will make a massive difference as well. Yeah. Have you found then that um, your customers have also like been wanting the change towards sustainability as well? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think I think something at seventy percent of consumers say that they will um, that you know. Um, ethical environmentally friendly sustainable brands are really important in terms of their decisions going forward um whether they're prepared to pay more for it or not is a different matter um and i think uh you know things you know incredibly tough particularly for youngsters these days so we are really not loading that cost into not we don't want to load that cost into consumers um we're taking it out of other um elements of the business to make sure that we don't pass that on yeah do you think that that's quite feasible to do is not so much increase the cost of a product if you're choosing to go sustainable because i think a lot of companies arguments are that it would cost too much to go down the sustainable route because then you'd have to pay more um i think it's inevitable that we're going to be paying more yeah um and although the you know the price of it's just fantastic to see that renewable energy is now um, sort of on a par or even uh, cheaper than fossil fuels. So that's a real turning point for the planet. Um, but I, I I think 
you know, short term, we do need to pay a bit more, but um, I think businesses need to try and engineer it so that it's not passing on to the consumer where possible. Yeah. So it's really hard as well, especially because um, a lot of the people, like, when you're comparing, uh, say, like a pair of leggings from a sustainable brand compared to a pair of leggings that yeah. you get a pre mark, they're obviously going to go for the cheaper ones, which is yeah. hard. And I think people actually kind of do feel a bit of guilt when they are choosing to go, you know, yeah. to the fast fashion route. Because I know I feel a lot better when I buy something that I know is like plastic free or sustainably yeah. made. But a lot of people don't have that choice. Yeah. I think we've all been guilty of buying into fast fashion. And, you know, instead of buying one that does you for three years, buying three that do you <laughs> three months, you know, that that's hopefully a thing of the past. Um, it's certainly not our business model, and I don't quite know where the fashion brands that operate fast fashion, you know, how their model's going to evolve. But buying into um, product that will last, quality that's durable, and not just some and, and longer term trends. You know, uh, there's you know the fashion industry is guilty of. Um, stimulating trends and then killing trends off that suddenly you know that and that that's not great for sustainability uh, we need to uh, encourage people to pay a little bit more and keep them longer yeah i'm so guilty of buying into fashion trends and then not wanting to wear it when it goes out of trend i'm trying yeah. to get better but it's so hard as well especially when you got social media and i'm seeing all these people on instagram buying these like nice dresses and everyone's all these nice things so i'm like oh, mm -hmm. i'd like to buy that yeah, I mean, there's something about, um, you know, um, socially acceptable trends, you know, buying into looks that, you know, are ridiculous and uh, short lived may become uh, socially unacceptable. I don't know. I think I think it is going that way, though. I'm seeing a lot of influencers now starting to I think they just get pressure from followers of being like, OK, all good. You doing like a 500 pound Shein haul, which is from is so cheap and from China and fast fashion, but we don't want that anymore. And you can see that they're actually starting to change now, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, um, hopefully that'll make a difference. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Kind of moving on then, I'd like to talk about um, Indira Lifecycle Trust. And what was the idea behind that? Okay, so um, I suppose, you know, we, we uh, and cycling has been good to Endura. You know, we've um, it's been a great journey, and I suppose we always wanted to uh, put something back into the community. We've always believed in the you know, the power of um, cycling to enrich people's both physical and mental health, um, and also um, it's been really important. Um, to be able to reach people that are unable to access that, whether it's through um, poverty or through vulnerability, lack of confidence, um, or whatever reason, and particularly kids. So, I suppose that's been um, that's 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 the sort of philosophy behind it. And I think um, you know, mountain biking is particularly stimulates your adrenaline it gives you a kick it gives you a thrill and um, a lot of sports don't necessarily do that some sports can be to be a bit of a slog but mountain biking's a great sport for you know having fun and pushing your boundaries and doing things that scare you a little bit and you know you do a few things that scare you and you you know you, you do something for the first time and you get a real sense of achievement so you can build up 
you know confidence and sort of little points in your head quite quickly um and it, you know, I suppose every kid that we get that comes along um and adult for that matter they 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 always at some point have a big smile on their face you know and that's brilliant and it, i suppose if we can just break the cycle of screen time and um for a lot of these uh, you know kids it's just screen time is their entertainment that's it um not even mucking around in the streets anymore you know it's um but breaking that cycle of screen time getting them out about and also socializing group it's a really sociable thing mountain biking so that's i suppose the philosophy of it and um that is you know we, we probably um do sort of about seven eight hundred sessions each year and it's uh, it's great we love it yeah i had the best time when we got <laughs> it it was so much fun it was so different because i think we have a pump track where i'm from but i've got like not as good of a mountain bike so it's not the great thing but i couldn't believe how fast i was going down and i wasn't like oh my god i was like yes come on and then when i fell i went over the handlebars i wasn't like oh my god i was like got a big smile on my face like that was the best thing ever <laughs> oh you did great no it's brilliant i mean we get a real mix you know from kids who you know really have not been on a bike much at all uh, to kids that you know come and they're doing big wheelies and and they they're you know showing off it's a great opportunity to show off as well um but i think um you know particularly with girls who are particularly um you know guilty of not doing enough exercise and having too many other distractions um it's a brilliant way to build your confidence um and and just reminding girls just what a thrill it is and how good it is to get kicks and thrills that aren't to do with all the nonsense that social media distracts you with so yeah it's brilliant it's brilliant if you can just show them a different way of living the lives for a couple of hours a week then that's great yeah i think anyone that is around you where is it based the life cycle trust we're based in uh, drimmon just north of glasgow yeah if anyone's around that area i 100 recommend going because i had the best afternoon ever <laughs> i would never have thought of doing it either it, it wasn't until you were like do you fancy going and i was like yeah, actually, I kind of do fancy doing that. I'd never think to do it otherwise. Yeah, any groups just get in contact uh, via endurasport.com. Yeah. It's, quite good as well. it's, it's good as well, isn't it? Because um, the, around the area, you've got some a lot of pros, I guess, in the, some of these bike parks. And yeah. it's intimidating, can't it, to go there first time and then there these people just tearing it up everywhere. And you, just kind of well, oh my god I don't, i'm not sure i want to go on this, this track uh, yeah like no you're absolutely right i mean that that's what we do is we offer exclusive access to vulnerable groups so it means that no one's you know there's no one there shredding it and you know it's they're they're they have the place to themselves and sometimes we've got kids that who've got sort of behavioral challenges or they're autistic or uh, suffering from other um challenges who might just want to have a meltdown at some point so you know you can do that and that's all fine you're just on your own and um no one's going to be bothered about it at all that's great and we've got a nice sort of seminar space that we can do sort of bike maintenance get kids sort of connected to the simple engineering of bikes you know because a lot of what people what we work with cars and phones and computers you know you've got no idea how they work uh, whereas a bike you can actually understand the mechanics and the gearing and the brakes and the construction and and learn a little bit about mechanical engineering so that's brilliant as well yeah I certainly love, uh, found out a lot about bikes when I was on the trip. Didn't do much, but I think <laughs> I just learned a lot of like the problems that are going around here in the lingo, like derailleur hanger and whatever. And I was like, what is that? <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, just try to change one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, in terms of my own bike, then, how do you think that that's brought you and kind of people that have come to the Life Cycle Trust brought you guys closer to nature? Um, well, I suppose um, you know my my sort of early cycling dates predate the, the you know the invention of the bike bike, and I suppose you know when I was a kid. I don't know how I managed it, but me and my pal Catherine managed to convince our mums and dads that age 12, that it was a good idea for us to go off on our road bikes, um, youth hostling. And we were desperately trying to get into trouble and adventure and uh, yeah, got up to a bit. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, that was, that was our, um, you know, key to independence and liberation. It was, it was so brilliant. It's a, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a way to see the world and meet people. Um, and then I suppose, you know, mountain biking is, um, is just so wonderful because it, it takes you to places where that are green and that is, you know, it's well documented now just how therapeutic plants can be and being surrounded by trees and greenery and um and paths it's it's just so therapeutic isn't it um and then that combination of of uh, plants nature and you get physical activity and and thrills and kicks it's just the whole package yeah it really is and hopefully with you know minimal sort of you know um sort of um uh, disruption of the environment, you know, leave no tra tracks. Um, so yeah, it's it's wonderful. It really is. It's also, it's just great to see. To, I feel very lucky that we work in an industry that is that happens to be environmentally friendly, um, and that happens to be such a positive impact on people's mental and physical well-being. Um, and uh, you know, we're, we're just very lucky to be part of that industry. Yeah. I think especially when you're cycling, you have to take it in. You need both hands on your handlebars. You can't be going on your phone when you're uh, in the nature. And yeah, you, also, you have to concentrate. Yeah, you also need to concentrate. Otherwise, you'd be like me in a rock and going over the handlebars. So. A brave recovery. Yeah. Not so much my Gymshark leggings, but now I know that they're not durable. <laughs> no offence to Gymshark, but they're not. They weren't made for mountain biking, I guess. <laughs> Hence the name. <laughs> Um, so in terms of like, what does the future look like then for Endura and the Endura Life Cycle Trust? Okay, so with the with the Life Cycle Trust, um, it's very much about getting back to business. So there's a massive backlog, particularly of youngsters who have not been able to come out, they've not been able to get exercise, not been able to socialise, um, and are really desperate to get some sort of, you know, natural soul therapy. Um, so we're really uh, you know, there's still issues around you know transport and vehicle numbers and that's one of the big barriers at the moment for our groups they just can't physically get here because of the numbers and cars so hopefully over the next few weeks that'll change it's great to see the cases coming down um sort of rapidly and hope it won't go back up again um but yeah really just getting people back we've got a wall of demand um for the center so um that will be great um and then endura is you know just loads more helmets and apparel and we've got new categories um you know powered by our defiant disruption um and we've got a new ergonomistry collection um that infuses lots of products which is very much um around uh 
uh, ergonomic design backed by medical science. So um, that's a project that we're working um, uh, on at the moment. So yeah, exciting times. A lot of er exciting stuff going. When you say ergonomic, is this as in it corrects your form and things? Well, uh, we're working in collaboration with Phil Burt, who's ex-British Cycling and Team Sky. Um, and he's a world-renowned ergonomist um, and physio. And uh, ergonomistry is the name of our collaboration working together. And uh, we address particular physical challenges, particularly around the contact points. So pads, um, feet and hands, gloves, um, where there will be pressure point buildup of pain um, and ease those pressure points really to provide a comfortable ride um, that allows you to ride harder longer. So um, it's infused into lots of different products now going forward, but it's quite exciting and uh, really um, working together, he's obviously from a medical physical physio background, and we're bringing medical solutions into certain elements of our bike kit. Very cool. Uh, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't tell too much about that, so I'd have to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep our powder dry. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. So exciting. Um, I've finished with my question. I don't know if Isaac has any others or. Uh, Simple, uh, simple question. Uh, Endura, did that come from just endurance, as in like it, it can go the mile, it can go further? But the name, the yeah. oh, it's 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 a marketing masterstroke. No, it's um, <laughs> it's it's like people name their boat after the combination of their two children. Um, endurance <laughs> and durability. There you go. Endurance. There we are. That's yeah. it. There you are. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, was, it, it, it wasn't Sachi and Sachi. No, but it works for us. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's amazing, really. Like, how did any no one uh, get that one before you guys <laughs> you, you nailed it? Oh, it's a long, it's, you know, the brand is like 28 years old now, founded 20 years ago. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's one of the originals. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you talking about fast fashion and sustainability and all things Indira. So thank you for that. Thank yeah. you for having me. It's great. And thank you for what you guys have done with uh, Pedal for Parks. It's amazing. Can't wait till the film comes out. Yeah, yeah. The film's not, not, not well, I'm currently in the post edit phase. We're working with uh, Alex and Kevin Gav. Brilliant. Been quite, yeah, it's been. Been quite exciting going through the old footage. Oh, like, do you remember oh. that? Oh, do you remember <laughs> this? Because so much happens in two weeks. That's amazing. In the whole cycle, and you know, we went through the whole country so quickly. So we were thinking, wow, we passed that. We did that. Like, what? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. What a great way to sort of spread the word and really good message and have fun at the same time. Well done, you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode there are new episodes every thursday and if you want to keep up to date with the mind the green space outside of the podcast make sure you check us out on instagram at mind the green space there'll be a link in the description <laughs>